Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Premed Year, session number 521. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. We're going to talk about an awesome, non-traditional journey today about finding your voice as a non-traditional student with Dr. Maurice Scholes. Before we jump in, though, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. If you know when you're going to take the MCAT, and it is like September, August, July of the year that you're applying, you're probably a little bit late in the game. Go check out the MCAT podcast, where we will help you understand how your MCAT test date affects your application. Go check that out. Uh, All of the amazing episodes that we have over at the MCAT podcast, mcatpodcast.com. Go check out Blueprint MCAT as well over at blueprintmcat.com. Let's go into our conversation today with Dr. Maurice Scholes. Dr. Maurice Scholes, welcome to the pre-med year. Thanks for joining me. Hey, happy to be here, man. Good to see you and happy carnival season. Happy carnival season, which I learned all about before we hit record. Uh, When did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor? You know, it's a weird story. I've wanted to be a doctor ever since I was six. I don't know where it came from. I'm the first doctor in my family on all sides. We didn't have a physician growing up that I went to regularly. We went to the clinic Mm -hmm. um, and saw whoever was available um, and, and, uh, so it just was a seed that stuck in my head and I don't know where it came from. <laughs> but you obviously followed through with it. Um, how, how easy was it for you to follow through with it? Uh, we, we have students today who have, a, have some sort of seed early on in their life, but they, they get that C in organic chemistry. They get uh, some negative talk from a mentor in their life, an advisor in their life. Uh, how, how easy it for, was it for you? You know, I am fortunate in that it was easy in some ways and hard in others. Mm. So um, I went to Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana for college. That's a historically black college university here um, in the South. And it is known as an engineering school. My dad and mom went to Southern. They met there and I was conceived there. But um, (laughs) so technically I went to classes there before I was a me. Um, (laughs) But it's known for engineering. And my dad really, really, really really wanted me to be an engineer. Yeah. So um, in some ways it was harder for me because I had to sort of find my voice and my own path 
in spite of people that loved me and supported me, pushing me a different direction. Um, the second piece about that is that when you go to an engineering school but want to go to medical school, they don't have the infrastructure like a place like Xavier here in New Orleans has, where it's just structured, put together. There's the pre-med advisement. They tell you what to do. They tell you how to do it. It just rolls. Yeah. So it was easy in that um, I felt really actualized, but it was difficult in that there wasn't really a roadmap and people weren't super excited about it at the beginning. Yeah. Let, let's talk about that for a second, because family support is one of the biggest things that I, I think is important on this journey, right? If I, I've mm-hmm. talked to students who, whether from a religious standpoint, a culture standpoint, uh, they are a, a woman and in their culture, mm-hmm. their religion, they, they should not be going to higher education and they come home and their, their home life doesn't support it. And, and actually, um, it, uh, actively discourages it when Mm -hmm. when you're sitting there going like i I understand dad you want me to be an engineer like you (laughs) but i want to be a doctor it's not like you're saying i i want to go be a comedian like a stand-up comic uh Mm -hmm. you want to go be this other professional thing what what was what Mm -hmm. were those conversations like to to both find the support that you needed and and maybe convince him finally at the end that this is what you were meant to be doing? You know, I think it's two parts to that. The first part is people that love you and really support you um, want to do that in every way, shape and form possible. You're a dad and I know there's nothing you wouldn't do for your baby. Um, and, And no matter how big you get, you have a good relationship with your parents like I have with mine. I am never too big to be their baby. So the first thing I have to realize is that whatever he was giving me as feedback came from a place of love mm. um, and came from a place of him wanting me to win. Um, and this was I was choosing something that was outside of what he personally experienced and what was experienced in this world. The second thing is that it was important for me to figure out how to explain my path to folks that loved and supported me. Because if I can't explain it to them, how could I convince an admissions committee that I should be picked? How could I convince somebody to take a chance on me as this atypical, non-traditional person that came from a place they usually don't find med students? So I really see this as an opportunity for folks to find a relatively friendly audience and figure out how to make their pitch. That's part of the process. Yeah, I, I love that uh, non-traditional place where where they're not typically finding med students. How early on in the process did you understand that about your path of like, this is going to be a little bit more uphill compared to the the quote unquote typical medical student? And, and what did you do to affect that? Mm-hmm. You know, it was different when I was in school because this was the stone age. We had <laughs> pen and paper. It wasn't stone tablets, but there wasn't this ubiquitous connection of the Internet. Yeah. So I didn't have access to understand what all I was missing from these very structured, highly organized programs that did some good things for me in that it kept me from being overthinking and it kept me from being anxious about what I didn't have or didn't know. So you can't compare yourself to somebody you never saw. Really? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that helped me in some ways because at, at baseline, I'm an old ball of anxiety. <laughs> so <laughs> knowing all of that might have freaked me out and made me do worse. Um, the other side is that I had the naivete to believe that if I filled out the information, turned it in on time and paid my money, that they would give me an interview. So I wasn't really stressing about will I get interviews because I thought, well, of course, they're going to give me one of those. They're going to tell me no to my face. (laughs) (laughs) So 
for me, that it was it was a double edged sword. It probably saved me from a little craziness. Yeah. Um, but it also sort of made me have to go some extra steps. Like I didn't have medical school applications sitting around like now you all apply, apply online. Yep. We had to actually send postcards to the school and request an application, which they would send you and say, when you send this back, send money or don't send it at all. Yeah. Um, and so that was, it was the process was different and it took a little longer. Oh, man. <laughs> the good old days if you want to whatever um yeah no when when i applied it was the first year of the electronic application so i just missed the the paper age uh mm-hmm. and it was a disaster uh the, the software <laughs> just didn't work and so uh it, there were lots lots of anxiety playing with that um as you went through the process you're an md phd at what stage of the process did you get your phd so I was actually first cycle MD PhD. And for those that don't know what that means, some people actually apply to the MD PhD program when they apply to medical school. Okay. That's first cycle. Mm-hmm. Some people apply to the PhD program after they're already matriculating in medical school. That's yeah. second cycle. Okay. The vast majority of MD PhDs come in second cycle. There's no difference in the degrees. There's no difference in prestige. If you will, when you apply for a cycle, you, you make it a little harder um, because the slots are more limited. And when you get a first cycle MD PhD slot, it usually comes with money um so you're not just competing for admission you're competing for money yep. um so that that that's and, and i in college i did a fair amount of work uh, over the summers um and, and and in the evenings doing sort of minority access to research careers or the mark program was what it's called was called at that time um but all those enrichment processes to help people that are interested in stem what they call stem now get actual experience working with scientists i did those things so i knew research wasn't foreign to me and i knew that if i was gonna go to medical school this was the easiest way for me to get some money and i didn't mind doing research so i was a natural fit for md phd because i was broke and poor <laughs> <laughs> broke and poor it's it's interesting because i have that conversation a lot with students uh, and they often want to apply to MD PhD programs for that same exact reason. Not really understanding that the back end career can look very different from an MD to an MD PhD. Did you have any insight into the future career that you wanted at that point? Or were you looking at it strictly from a, a financial standpoint? Um, I knew that as a first generation doctor coming from an HBCU, I needed all the credentials I could get mm. to be competitive in a leadership way that I wanted to be. I didn't know how I wanted to lead. I knew I wanted to lead. Yeah. And so I realized early on that was going to take me distinguishing myself in some way. So maybe that was another reason an MD PhD was a natural fit for me because I got not one, but two terminal degrees. And to my grandfather's dying death, he never understood why I had to do both of them together. <laughs> He's like, can't you do one or the other and just get a job, son? <laughs> Yeah, kids, kids these days in the education, uh, keep keeping them away from making a living. Um, yes, yes, yes. The it, it's 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 interesting listening to you talk and a lot of the guests I bring on. It seems like the common theme is intentionality, mm-hmm. and whether you're putting the the lens that you have on on your path. Uh, looking back, or or you had that true intentionality back then. Do you think students these days, and not to be like, oh, kids these days, but it, I don't, I don't know how much intentionality the majority of students have going through this process, or mm-hmm. just people in life. I totally that speaks to me, man. Intentionality matters, um, and not just in your medical school applications, but in your life in general. 
I'm not saying that you have to have all the answers. And when some people hear intentionality, they think that means you need to know everything you need to know, like Athena sprung from the brow of Zeus, fully clad, ready to go. No, that's not what that means. What that really means is that you need to be very clear about what you want to get out of whatever situation. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are going to participate in a carnival crew here in New Orleans, what do you want to get out of that? Mm -hmm. Um, Are you interested in just sort of people watching? Are you interested in eventually being royalty? Are you interested in just sort of Figuring out what it's all about, because depending on what your interests are, that'll shape how you do the experience. And I think applying to medical school and thinking about a medical education is the same process. Um, And the way I lay it out to people is that in my day, everybody made these mixtapes and and then eventually involved in your generation, maybe SoundClouds. Uh, and, and there would always be this guy on campus that would be like, yo, listen to my SoundCloud. This is my SoundCloud. <laughs> and they were annoying. <laughs> but one thing they really had over the rest of us is that they understood everybody didn't have to like their mixtape or SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. They just had to get their mixtape or SoundCloud in front of the right person to want to hear it at the right time. Um, that intentionality of making sure the right person hears my song and that's going to be my path to getting signed and that's going to be my path to being an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, that matters. And, and I think that's very different than just going around saying, oh, every once in a while I sing at an open mic. Um, every once in a while, if one of my buddies that has a band, somebody calls in, I may sit in something. You know, you're in both situations, you're doing work in arts, yeah. but in one, you're being intentional about positioning yourself to be chosen. And the other one, you're sort of, you know, recreationally hanging out. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I encourage people to be intentional about wanting to be chosen. Um, Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you have to know all the answers. Does that make sense? It it makes complete sense. But Maurice, when when you put yourself in a situation to be chosen, Mm -hmm. you're also putting yourself in a position to be rejected. Mm -hmm. And I've had this conversation a lot lately with students. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. fear of rejection is a powerful dismotivator. Mm -hmm. How do we get students, people growing up in today's day and age Mm -hmm. where we don't have to put ourselves out there nearly as much as we used to because we can sit Mm -hmm. behind a computer and Mm -hmm. get information and ask questions versus going to an office, knocking on doors, going and and just putting ourselves out there with, yes, that, that fear of rejection how do how do we get students to understand that rejection is is an okay part of this process a necessary part of this process you know i think that i came from a generation before the everybody got a trophy generation so i hate it (laughs) i I experienced rejection many many times uh my favorite story was my sister saying to my mom hey mom i think i want to do a do uh, be a dancer and she's like honey you're not very good at it pick something you can actually get chosen (laughs) And, and and I think in the modern parenting that just wouldn't that would be like they figure out a way to be supportive. Yep. Um, all that really is a long winded way of saying life is about taking risks sometimes, mm-hmm. and those risks lead to great reward, but they come at a cost, and the cost is rejection. Um, I don't have any magic bullet on telling people how to deal with rejection. Nobody likes it. I hate it. I want to win every time and I want to get chosen every time, be it a significant other, a partner, be it a partner play, be it medical school, anything. We all want to be chosen. And part of what maturing and growing up means is we have to figure out what happens when our best laid plans go asunder and somebody doesn't pick us that we think we want. Now, some folks take the divine approach to say, that boyfriend or girlfriend I really wanted that didn't chose me turned out to be a terrible person that was going to ruin my life anyway. So I was saved from what I thought <laughs> I wanted. Um, 
But you could also take the approach that there's a time, a place, and space for everything. Um, and sometimes rejection is a way of gently redirecting you. And, I, and I'm going to tell you a story. Um, when I was practicing in Atlanta, had a big successful program, was very excited about what was going on. And the administration of the organization really wanted to do a pivot and move in a different direction. And that wasn't consistent with the way I was leading my section. That led to what amounts to a business divorce. At the time, it felt like I was being rejected by the organization, rejected by my peers and my coworkers, but it really was a chance for me to pivot and look at employment in a different way. And now I can report that I practice medicine, but I also run my business um, as a medical operations expert. I also have a 501c3 as a nonprofit. And I spend my time connecting with and making a difference in places and spaces that matter to me. Had I not had that rejection in Atlanta, I never would have had the bandwidth to open up to understand that this kind of life was possible. So not to get too Pollyannish, but sometimes rejection is the little push we need to take a step in a direction that seems scary. Yeah. Yeah. As we were talking about earlier, Newton's second law, like that's that's <laughs> the uh, object in motion, uh, mm-hmm. the external force needed to, to change that motion and, and potentially uh, as as cliche as it sounds, right? The when one door closes, another one opens. But, um, uh, but you have to have that mindset to to allow that. And, and you have to give yourself grace to allow that a rejection of you in a space is not a rejection of you as a person. Yeah. Like those don't go together. Correct. I mean, the fact that someone didn't choose you doesn't mean you're trash. That yeah. just means you weren't right for them or what they thought they needed at that time point. At that time, um, yeah. That, yeah. That may mean you're too big for them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're too I, qualified. You're too... Yeah. I, I, I give that... I, I, I tell that story all the time of, of my first application to medical school. I didn't get in. I had two interviews uh, and I didn't get into either of the schools. And And at the time, it's like, oh... I guess I can't be a doctor, right? That's that's the the story mm-hmm. in my head that I was making up of this rejection of of two schools mm-hmm. out of two hundred mm-hmm. saying mm-hmm. we don't want you, um, mm-hmm. and and taking that rejection and asking questions mm-hmm. and realizing oh they're they're not telling me I can't be a doctor, they're just telling me they don't want me for their class right now. And Correct. so figuring out what it is to make myself a better applicant, to make myself more competitive in this process, mm-hmm. uh, and then getting in the, the next cycle. Uh, not to mm-hmm. be either of those two schools, um, but to a different school and, and ultimately still getting in. So that's that's And good. that's where you met your wife. And that's where your exactly. whole life. And so if you'd have gotten in those schools that yeah. you thought you wanted to be in, yeah. you might not have had this life. I wouldn't be talking to you right now, probably. Yeah. Voila. Yeah. And, and so divine intervention, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that. Um, you do a lot with um, professionalism. You do a lot with helping uh, students from a diversity standpoint. What is mm-hmm. what is your mission in life outside of taking care of the patients you take care of? My mission in life is to maybe I was the first and only in some spaces, but I will never be the only and last. Um I know so many people that will be great at what I do. Um, They just need a path and an opportunity. So I really feel like rather than complaining about how undiverse places and spaces are that I might be in, my focus has been to do something about it. Um, I intentionally find organized medical groups like the National Medical Association, of which I'm a board member. Um, I lead the New Orleans Medical Association, which are Black physicians here in New Orleans, um, I'm also involved in larger organized medicine like or- Orleans Parish, 
um, and American Medical Association. And I pick those kinds of things because I want to be in rooms, places, and spaces with people that want to go places I'm interested in going. Mm. Either they've already been there and I want to go, or I've been someplace and they're looking to go. The other thing is that it really helps you understand how medicine and what life is like beyond your little bubble. Um, and when I do those things, I can go back and tell my students, I don't have to pick between being a New Orleanian and a physician. I parade with Zulu. I'm a member of Zulu Social Aid and Pleasure Club, an organization founded in the early 1900s and now is a signature piece of Mardi Gras culture and structure. But I'm also MD, PhD from Harvard. I'm not either or, I'm both. Um, and there's value, there's language, and there is agency in both. Um, and a lot of times when kids are thinking about medical school, they're thinking, well, the persons I know that were successful did it this way. Therefore, I have to do it that way to be successful and to make their square peg try to fit in that round hole. And I'm here to tell all the weirdos, all the people <laughs> that feel not quite right, all the folks that are neither fish nor fowl, but swim and fly too. There's a place for you. Mm. There's a place for you. And we can find it together. Yeah. Well, you, you and I have that same message uh, because I... I get very frustrated when a mentor, advisor, family member, whoever it is, tells a student, mm -hmm. you shouldn't be doing this activity that you love because it has nothing to do with medicine. And I'm like, that couldn't be further from the truth. Go out, be yourself, follow your passions, as cliche as it sounds, uh, because as you mentioned, right, it all fits together uh, as you, as you at the end mm -hmm. of the day, bringing, bringing you to it. What do you, what do you say to that student who is maybe coming from uh, an underrepresented background who doesn't mm -hmm. see someone like yourself doing mm -hmm. all of this stuff that you're doing and doesn't, doesn't even know where to start the first door to knock on. Connectedness, connectedness, connectedness. Um, and this is where I really tell people the internet is great for creating virtual communities all over the world, but you also need to be very intentional about creating your in real life communities right there next door. Um, everybody has access to a healthcare center. Some of you live in cities with medical schools. If you live in cities with medical schools, the easiest place to start is the National Medical Association or your student National Medical Association. There is the National Hispanic Medical Association as well. All these underrepresented groups have places and spaces intentionally created where they gather together. And most of those places and spaces have a very strong aspect of mentorship and mentoring. It's part of what the organization was formed to do. It's part of what people that actually are active in these groups want to do. So that's low hanging fruit. Just, I mean, show up and ask them. Um, the second thing is that I encourage people to embrace and find who they are and embrace and find things that call to them. Um, and, and, a, and a little story to tell that is when I was in high school, um, I decided the language I was going to take was Spanish. I liked how it sounded. <laughs> Rolling your R sounded cool. Um, I did some classes in Spanish. I did an exchange program when I was in high school. Um, did some this, did some that. Over the years, I was one credit short of minoring in Spanish in college. Clearly, I didn't plan that well or I'd have done it and got a full minor. Um, but the point is when I was interviewing for my fellowship in pediatric rehab medicine, there were only six training places in the entire country. I was at my top choice in Chicago and I was shadowing in clinic. The interpreter, Spanish interpreter for clinic didn't show up that day. Mm. And I interpreted the clinic visit. I don't know if they picked me as their fellow because I was this MD PhD from Harvard that, that just blew them away in interviews or I spoke Spanish and was useful 
that day and that time. And, and, and I tell that story to tell people you never know the thing that's going to make a difference for you and put you over. Um, and, and that's for whether you are a traditional student, non-traditional, where you are from a majority group or underrepresented minority group, your special sauce is the thing that's your special sauce. Yeah. And that's going to make somebody pick you. Yeah. It's funny, like whether it's a skill, like being able to speak Spanish uh, and interpret the day that you interpreted, or what I, what I talk to students all the time about is being able to connect just human to human on your medical school interview and noticing mm-hmm. a, a Star Wars figurine in the background and letting your inner nerd come out and go, oh my gosh, I love Star Wars too. And then you nerd out about Star Wars for 30 minutes and you don't mm-hmm. talk anything about medicine and you get into that school because there was that human connection there. Mm-hmm. Yes, you say, what was Baby Yoda's real name? <laughs> Grogu. And then everybody, and, and, and I, I think you're, you're so right. Interviews are about connecting because when you apply, they have all the hard data. Yep. They have your test scores. They have your letters of recommendation. They have your grades, but they don't know you. Yep. Um, and, and, and that's the part that really folks want to know about when they're going through the interview process. And, and that also speaks to check for, Who's checking for you? Do you know what? Does you understand what that means? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check for who's checking for you. Okay. Um, if there's somebody you want to date, so and, and me as a man trying to date some woman, and she is same gender loving, I could be the finest man walking on two legs. I could be the nicest guy. I could want to treat her great, but she's not checking for me. Yep. Because. <laughs> I'm not who she's looking for. Yeah. And I think similarly, when we're applying in, in these places and spaces, check for who's checking for you. Where have students from your school gone to for med school? Who, where have people in your age group been accepted at higher rates in other places? Yeah. You know, if you're an older student, why would you really spend a lot of time and effort on places that have no track record of taking anybody older than 25? Yeah. Like they're not checking for you. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that for a second. You, you, at least here, are, are exuding a level of confidence that I think a lot of people may not have to be in a situation where they realize, oh, they're not checking for me. They're not excited that there's someone with my skin color here. There's, they're not excited that there's someone wearing a hijab here. They're, they're not excited for whatever the situation is that you are, who you are. What do you do in that situation? Do you just go, that's okay? This place isn't mm-hmm. for me? Do you try to change? Like, what do you do in that situation? Um, I have never been a fan of modifying myself to make other people comfortable. That's just not who I am as a person. That goes against who I'm at, at core. Yeah. What I'm saying to people is be intentional, back to our original conversation, about where you're looking and applying. Yeah. Why are you applying to the places you're applying to? And why would you pick someplace that's clearly not checking for you? If there is nobody on that campus that wears a hijab and they're always concerned or confused about whether or not you're being professional because your hair is covered, I don't know if you want to fight that battle while you're trying to figure figure out med school when there are other places that are perfectly fine, if not encouraging of different points of view and different religions. So the intentionality goes to finding places that reflect the values that you have and are looking for people that bring the kind of expertise and cachet that you bring. Yeah. It's, it's easy to say. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard to implement because mm-hmm. students on, on this side of it 
are just looking for that one school to pick them, to accept yes. them because they want to yes. be a doctor and it takes that. And so there's a there's a very big, whether it's right at the beginning uh, of the application process, the interview process, or it's during medical school when you're on your rotations, there is a a power uh, balance discrepancy uh, that that may put students in a in an awkward situation. Do you have any advice once mm-hmm. someone is already cemented in a situation? Right, it's it's very hard to transfer schools and go. Uh oh, like mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to be here. What what advice do you have for someone who may be in a situation that that is uncomfortable for them? Sure, sure. So. If we have not been as intentional as we intended to be in choosing our schools mm-hmm. and choosing the places we're going to expose ourselves. And again, I don't limit this to sort of apl- application of schools. I limit it to life. Yeah. I'm not going to a bar room where I might have to fight my way out of there. Mm-hmm. I'm, de- I'm not going there. I don't care if everybody in the world says that's the most fun bar in the whole city that, 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 that anybody's ever heard of. Yeah. It's not fun to me. And I don't I'm not doing that. And I think similarly, don't let other people's picks drive what you deem is valuable or important. Mm. Now, if you're already in a situation uh, and you're feeling like it's not really settling around you, the best thing you can do is build community. Um, and that community can be within the medical school or outside of the medical school because you need somebody to understand, get, and resonate with you. That's a safe space for you to talk through things. The best thing I ever have is my group of friends that will tell me, Marsha, you're being ridiculous and over the top. Because sometimes I can be. <laughs> and, and you need somebody to love you enough to say that. Yep. Also, somebody to love you enough to say, that's kind of foul. No, that's not right. And maybe we should figure out how to re- rethink this. Um, so if you feel like something's a size 10 foot in a size nine and a half shoe, if you feel like you've been walking on a pebble, and every step you take, it gets more and more painful. Before it gets unbearable, find your community and find people that pour into you rather than take out from you because they're going to help you get through that. All right. So there you have it. Again, Dr. Maurice Scholes, a great conversation about finding your voice as a non-traditional student. I hope this was helpful for you. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here at The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.